The following title is called Heaven Upon Earth by James Janeway, the author of A Token for Children. The Epistle to the Reader When I consider what a noble thing the soul of man is, the high end for which he was made, and the great account he is shortly to make to him that made him, I cannot but wonder that he who has made little lower than the angels should make himself a little better than the beasts. The great and dreadful God has taken much pains to reduce the inhabitants of London, and indeed all the nations, to the obedience of his Son. He has been pleading with poor England of late in such a manner, as is scarce to be paralleled in foregoing ages. He has left the print of his fingers behind him and written divine displeasure in black letters. The righteous judge began a circuit in London, and in that one city above 100,000 received the sentence of death from his just tribunal. That was not quite removed before another amazing judgment was sent to succeed it. The voice of the Lord was not heard. The language of the plague was not understood. Therefore the dreadful Jehovah spake louder and louder as he did once from Mount Sinai in fire, flame, and smoke. He rode upon the wings of the wind. He rode in a chariot of flame and fire while the bells did ring their own knells as they were tumbling. And it is to be feared were more melted at the anger of the mighty God than thousands of hard-hearted men and women were. The leads of the churches were dissolved into showers more easily, far more than stupid professors that were wont to sit under them. That was a black cloud indeed which no wind could blow over, till it fell in such scalding drops. The things considered, I hope it will not be unwelcome nor unseasonable if I put you upon looking out for such a friend as will provide sufficiently for his under all these straits and prove the best and the worst of times. He knows Job upon the dunghill as well as David upon the throne. He will be most kind when others are most unkind. He will visit you when others will scarce look upon you. In his house you shall be as welcome as ever. There are many mansions. If it were not so, he would have told you. In this city there is room enough, and you shall have entertainment, and so on and be more welcome than if you had stayed away. His doors will be open to them who have no houses to hide their heads in. Come to him, you harborless ones. He invites you earnestly and heartily. He will give you shelter, you that have no friends, or but sorry ones. Come to him now in your straits, and he will never cast your poverty or his kindness in your teeth, except your carriage is proud and unbecoming your state. God has lately read us a lecture of the vanity of all creature enjoyments, and will you after this refuse acquaintance with him who will be better to you than a thousand of the best friends that ever man had upon earth? I have in the following book given you directions how you may come to be acquainted with him. As God appointed cities of refuge, so he gave express command that the way to them should be made plain, fit, and broad. And therefore the messenger's work every year was to remove all stumbling blocks and offenses. This suffered not any hill or dale to be in the way, and at the partition of ways they set up in writing, Refuge, Refuge, that the pursued might have noticed what way to take upon every turn, Deuteronomy 19, verses 2 and 3. 
Delike I have endeavored in this ensuing discourse to make the way to this blessed friend plain and familiar. Pray for a blessing upon it, which cost the author some pains, prayers, tears, and groans, that what is here written might be the transcript of his own experience, and might be some way subservient to the glory of God and the conversion and comfort of souls. If you find any good in the use of this book, give God the praise, and labor to keep a constant warm sense of the excellency of such a friend upon your spirits, and commend this friend to all your relations and acquaintance, that none of them after great losses may lose God, heaven, and themselves too. Oh, that would be a dreadful loss indeed. I again beseech you, do not forget to pray for one of the most unworthy instruments that ever infinite goodness made use of in so glorious a work. James Janeway, July 20th, 1669 Heaven upon earth, acquaint now thyself with him and be at peace. Thereby good shall come unto thee, Job 22, verse 21. They who have improved their experience of things by wisdom and gathered up the value of man's life by comparing his desire with his enjoyments, his troubles and sorrows with his content and joy, have concluded the worth of the life of man to be below nothing. They have drawn a black line upon the whole and shut up all in darkness. Thus Jacob upholding the account which he gives of his life to Pharaoh, Genesis 47 verse 9 and Job 5 7. And also Solomon, who had an extraordinary measure of wisdom by divine dispensation, who had a large spirit like the sand of the seashore, he gave himself great liberty in trying what that good under the sun for the sons of men was. When he had taken a taste of all the world and its contents, yet he finds a bitterness mixed in all delights, which abides no longer than the pleasure verse. And whosoever shall enter into himself and fill the workings of his own mind shall be able to read over the transcript of the same in his own conscience. Who is he among the sons of men? Did in his natural life has attained to a state wherein he was able to say, Here I will stay, it is now well with me. I desire no addition to my present condition, if there be any such. I dare undertake to prove him unacquainted with himself. Where now shall I fasten the blame of this universal evil? Shall we fall out with our life as a thing not worth a having? Shall we shrink into our former nothing and cast up our being and life into the hands of God? Is that out of which we gathered nothing but bitterness and disquiet? Far be this from us. This work to justify that evil and wicked servant who said of God that he knew he was a hard master, reaping where he had not sown and gathering where he had not strawed. This would be to accuse God of having made us to an unavoidable necessity of misery. How then comes it to pass that we are all held fast in this common calamity? It is from yourself, O oh man. It is from yourself. This evil is because of our falling from God. It is a righteous thing with God that when men departed from him, he should reap the fruit of his own doings. And indeed it is impossible for a creature of our composure and constitution but to feel itself dissatisfied with all worldly material employments, and to find trouble and disquiet in itself when it is deprived of its true good. If we would have a true account of our disquiet and dissatisfaction, this is it. 
God made man of all the works of his hands to be the nearest to himself, and has fitted his principles for a higher life than that which has the things of this world for its object. But man hath made himself like the beasts that perish. We have given our souls into captivity to our bodies, or rather we are fallen from our union with God and are gathered up into ourselves and become deprived of a sufficiency and a separation from God. And it must needs be that we being gone down into a lower state than that which we were made to, should find nothing but dissatisfaction and emptiness. Here we are by nature, and hitherto we have brought ourselves by forsaking God. Now the great inquiry will be what remedy there is for this our woeful condition. Is there any way in which we may be delivered from this misery? If there be, what way is it? These words which I have chosen to speak to do contain the answer to this inquiry. Acquaint yourself now with him, and be at peace. Thereby good shall come to you. This is a counsel of one of Job's three friends to him in the time of his great affliction. You have heard of the affliction of Job, and how his three friends came to relieve him with their counsel. But the devil who had a commission from God to try his utmost with Job, Yet, sparing his life, made use of his friends who were to be a comfort in the hour of adversity, to be a great means of his disquiet, so that he cries out of them, Miserable comforters are you all. And a great way of their troubling him was by misapplying, by making false application of true principles. In their discourses there are many excellent truths, yet by their hard construing and so on, and grounded condemning of him. The ape by God are approved as not having spoken the thing that was right. Chapter 41, verse 7. Yet in many things her counsel was suitable and seasonable, of which sort the words and the text may be accounted. In this chapter, Eliphaz has been inquiring into the cause of Job's great affliction, and holding this for an undeniable principle that the righteous God, being the great disposer of affliction, did bring this evil upon him because of his sin. He measured the greatness of his sins by the greatness of his afflictions. He made account, because God's hand was gone forth in an extraordinary manner against Job. Therefore there was some extraordinary guilt upon him. And you say, how does God judge through the dark clouds? Thus we have his apprehension of Job as one under great affliction, because of his great sins. In the text is Eliphaz, his counsel to Job under this character, and so a suitable advice to those who are under sickness or great afflictions that are under the guilt of great sin. Acquaint yourself with him, and be at peace. Thereby good shall come unto you. The words are a doctrine for the soul under a sense of its lost condition with a promise very comfortable upon the embracing of it. The doctrine is, Acquaint yourself with him and be at peace. The promise, Thereby good shall come unto thee. These words, be at peace, may be referred either to the former, as in addition to the doctrine, Be at peace. That is, Keep yourselves in a quiet submission to the hand of God, or to the latter, and so be at peace is as much as peace shall be to you. In the doctrine we are to consider the act an object. The act, acquaint. The object, God. 
so that the doctrine is to enter into acquaintance with God. This proposition stands forth to the view of every eye, that it is the duty of man to be acquainted with God. Now the first thing that is before us to require after is what this acquaintance with God is. Secondly, to evidence and clear it to be the duty of man to acquaint himself with God. Acquaintance with God implies several things. One, it signifies a full and determinate knowledge of this truth that there is a God and so to know him is to his nature distinct from all other beings. There is a threefold knowledge of God. One, a rational. Two, a natural. Three, a supernatural. First, there is a rational knowledge of God which is a clear discovery of an almighty all-sufficient cause of all things, which is attained by a reasonable discussing power of the soul, which argues from things that are visible and sensible to an invisible and self-principled cause of all things. Man found himself brought into the world furnished with an innumerable variety of creatures, and none of these having power to make itself, we see likewise such an accurate order in every particular creature and in all the creatures one with another that we cannot but see clearly that there is a supreme almighty cause of all things, who has by his power brought forth all things into being, who is likewise a most wise agent, who by his unsearchable wisdom has curiously framed every creature, and by his wonderful counsel has set them in such an order that they all serve one another, till at length they all meet in man as in a common center. Secondly, there is a natural knowledge of God, which is the inward touch, a mental sensation of a supreme righteous judge, to whose trial we fill ourselves under an unavoidable bond, in doing good and evil. This is that which is commonly called conscience. This a man finds in himself if at any time he have committed any secret sin whatsoever, which none in the world knows but himself. He feels it to be a pressure upon his spirit, his being under the examination of a power superior to himself. No, this is nothing else but a secret impression that God has made of himself upon the minds of men, by which man is bound to stand before the tribunal of God. These two ways of knowing of God were very clear to man in his perfect state, but since the fall of man they are much weakened and decayed. But thirdly, there is a supernatural way whereby we come to know God, which has repaired our laws by Adam's sin, and that is by God's extraordinary revelation of himself and his holy scriptures. By these we may come to have a more clear, distinct knowledge of God, both that he is and what he is. It's the three ways of letting in the knowledge of God into the soul, three mental acts of the soul answer. First, a rational discourse by which we find out God by the creatures. Secondly, an inward sensation which feels God is just and good and evil. The third mental act is faith, which for its foundation has a word of God. There is a fourth way of knowing God, which is by experiment, which is when God manifests himself to his peculiar ones and lets out the knowledge of himself to their souls. It's when the sun breaks forth with a bright shining in a cloudy day. But this belongs rather to another head. Thus you see the first thing employed in this acquaintance with God, which is the lowest. Yet how many are there that have little acquaintance with God in these signs, 
May we not come to many who profess they know God, and yet among all their thoughts they have had fewer none to satisfy themselves concerning him. How gross are the apprehensions of some concerning God. Some men resist and stifle that natural knowledge that they have of God. Such as those, Romans 1, 20. They did not like to retain God, and their knowledge in God gave them over to a reprobate mind. Or a mind void of judgment, as the word signifies. Others have lived all their days upon the bounty and goodness of God, and yet have not been led by the streams to the fountain, from which all is flowed. Others can busy themselves all their time in other things, and little inquire into the word of God, by which they may be led to the knowledge of him. But woe to those on whom the fury of the Lord shall be poured out, because they know not God. Jeremiah 10 verse 23 Secondly, acquaintance with God implies frequent access to God. We do not usually reckon ourselves acquainted with any person by a bare knowledge that such a person there is, and that we are able to give some general description of him. But when we say we are acquainted with any, it is understood that we have been in such a one's company. We have come to him, and been with him, such as our acquaintance to be with God. 